You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Ugh. Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to the Buzz Broadway Podcast. I'm Amanda Harrington. And I'm Sam St. Jean. Each week, with the help of cast albums, film adaptations, and our own memories, we reminisce and relive some of our favorite Broadway musicals. Come listen to two besties booze their way down the great white way on on Buzz Buzz Broadway. When you're lost and alone and you feel like you need a little lift, When the times are tough and your day has gone adrift, you can always press play on Buzzed Broadway. We've got the laughs for when you're blue. Buzzed Broadway. Just pour a drink. I need your shoe. So just press play today. Let's do it. Hello, welcome back to the Buzzed Broadway podcast. This is Sam St. Jean. I thought I was going to burp, but um... I held it. You didn't. In. No, I did it. I'm, I'm happy for you. <laughs> Who Amanda, are you again? Amanda Harrington. And we are so happy to have you back on the Buzz Broadway podcast. Happy Friday. Is that when we're releasing them? Yeah, every Friday. Oh. Good. Glad we're on the same page. Uh, <laughs> your face, your face was like it is not Friday. I don't know what this idiot's. I was like about. today's Wednesday, but. <laughs> It's fine, I believe you. All right. We are so happy to be back. We're talking about... Talking about... We're talking about one of our top memories, The Phantom of the Opera by Lord Andrew Lloyd Webber. Correct. Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber. It's Lord. He's a Lord? Yes. Why is he a Lord? Because he was... Okay, I'm not gonna lie. I didn't really do research on it, but <laughs> I saw that he was in like the Lord of Lords or whatever, and wow. he retired and like King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's about him. Handel was writing about him when he wrote that. He knew. No, yes, yeah, so he's <laughs> technically like Lord Lloyd Webber. Wow, good for him. Great, I'm happy for him. And like, but yes, when I think about when I think about our our history performing together, this is one of the first shows that comes to mind. Um, we'll get into it later, but Amanda and I performed in the New Hampshire premiere of Angeloid Webber's The Phantom of the Opera uh, in 2011. And no matter what anybody tells you, we were the stars. We were absolutely the stars of this production. I, I have no doubt in my mind. No, nobody else has uh, what are you? What are you drinking tonight, Miss Harrington? I'm drinking a nice Pinot Noir. I'm trying to... Incorporate some red. It's from Chile. 
Oh my gosh, we love Chile. Amanda and I toured Chile went, in 2014. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah, I think that sounds right. 2014. This is a 2018 Pinot Noir from Valley Central, Chile. Wow. Wow, very exciting. I love, if I have How to drink a red wine, I'm going to drink usually a Pinot Noir. Me too. Me Sometimes too, the cat's Because it's out. fruity enough. Exactly. Not, not a lot, though. I don't like dry. Oh, what are you I, drinking? I love dry. Um, I am drinking a Tanqueray Dirty Martini. Extremely dry because we didn't have any vermouth in my house. So, <laughs> actually, Wow, you're doing gin tonight. Dry. I do have a nice drink tonight, and it's not whiskey-based. <laughs> That's a big change you're Right, me. you're drinking gin. It does have blue cheese olives because I'm disgusting, but... Um, no, you're not. Everybody loves those. People do love blue cheese olives in their in their martinis. That's true. When I was a waitress this past summer, everyone would ask, can you give me blue cheese olives? And I'd say, no. It's a nice snack. It's like your drink comes with an appetizer built into it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but don't ask for extra olives because we're not here to give you an appetizer before your appetizer. <laughs> I did put extra olives in my own, but that's because I bought the jar myself. That's okay. I would get in trouble for my managers for giving away three olives extra extra garnish well because they'd be like can i have extra olives so i'd give them three and then they'd be like can i have more extra olives oh no 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 i'd be like you guys seem nice but no all right absolutely not what do you say we get into it pal yeah great great i'm gonna kick things off uh the phantom of the opera based on the french novel of the same name by gaston larue the Phantom of the Opera tells the story of a masked figure who lurks beneath the catacombs of the Paris Opera House, exercising a reign of terror over all who inhabit it. He falls madly in love with an innocent young soprano, Christine, and devotes himself to creating a new star by nurturing her extraordinary talents and by employing all of the devious methods at his commands. Big thanks to Concord Theatricals for giving me that, that synopsis of the play. I think it's a good one. You know, it's got the kind of like Nosferatu influence from France. Yeah. Did you ever see the uh, silent film? I think that our music teacher asked us all to watch it. And I don't think we ever did. I certainly haven't. I haven't either. But uh, I know like the face from it. That kind of. Me too. I think my parents had it. I think my parents had it on VHS. I also want to just quickly, just before we really get into this, like, why is his name Eric? Like, That's what a name. Great. Because the actor who played our Phantom in high school's <laughs> name was Eric. <laughs> so, Andrew Lloyd Webber, or Gaston LaRue, whatever his name was. LaRue. Yeah. That was so close. Not to, be right, confused well, with the, not to be confused with the 2000s pop singer of Bulletproof LaRue. But, um. Thank God yeah. I was very flustered. <laughs> Me too. Why don't you tell us a little bit about good old ALW? ALW. He was born March 22nd, 1948 in London. Came from a very musical family. His father was an organist and a composer. And his mother was a violinist and a pianist. And his brother is currently a world-renowned solo cellist. That I did not know. Hell yeah. So the fam is (laughs) rocking out. Uh... He wrote some shows before this, but he wanted to write a romantic musical as well as something for his then wife, Sarah Brightman. And he was really inspired by this novel by Gaston LaRue. Um, and he liked it because 
he was able to transform it into more of a romantic musical, which was his focus. So I'm going to talk more about <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webber is not my favorite composer. So I think that's probably the case for a lot of theater fans yeah, out there. Don't get me wrong. Like there's, I will say song and dance has some of my favorite musical theater numbers. Like I love singing this stuff. from Beautiful. But beautiful. I'm going to talk some, a little bit about some of the controversies, controversies. So he has lots of awards. Um, he won an Academy award for the song. You must love me. Do you know that song from Evita, the movie? I do. I do. It's beautiful. I sang it for an audition in college. Didn't get the part, so I blame Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> um, he has a Golden Globe, one Emmy Award, four Golden Globes, seven Tonys, and most importantly, he has one Raspberry Award for his screenplay, Cats, the movie. Thank you so much, Andrew Lloyd Webber, for that piece of. We're talking about like the, we're talking about like 2019 Cats, not like the really useful group filmed version. Correct. We are talking about yeah. Rebel Wilson. In yeah, just yeah. All you said he got a Razzie nomination for that. Oh, he won it. Oh, he won the Razzie. I didn't realize that. That's sure. great. I'm I'm happy for him. A lot of people know that there's a little bit of controversy in Andrew Lloyd Webber's music because people think that he has plagiarized a lot of it, mm. including Phantom of the Opera. So, if you've ever listened to the song Echoes by Pink Floyd, it's like 23 minutes long. It literally is the intro to the sound of music not the sound of music the phantom of the opera <laughs> you want to try that one again <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna keep it uh but i have to read this quote from one of the guys in pink floyd yeah the beginning of that bloody phantom song is from echoes da 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 i couldn't believe it when i heard it it's the same time signature it's 12 8 and it's the same structure and it's the same notes and it's the same everything bastard it probably is actionable. It really is. But I think that life's too long to bother with suing Andrew fucking Lloyd Webber. <laughs> also, if you've ever listened to Puccini's La Fanchula del West, it is literally the music of the night. Like, you have to go listen to it. It's crazy. Uh, but Andrew Lloyd Webber, I'm pretty sure, wins all these lawsuits. So, good for him. So, the music and book to family the opera the lyrics are by charles hart and additional lyrics were by richard stilgo uh the book was by richard stilgo and andrew lloyd weber so i'm i really just did research on andrew lloyd weber because he's the he's the be all of it all so that's him well it's interesting to i think it's interesting to see where he was headed in the timeline of things he had composed obviously he he was he had already come to great success before this. He had, you know, Superstar had come out, Joseph had come out, Tell Me on a Sunday, Cats, Song and Dance, Starlight Express, my favorite. No, it's not. Ever. I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> do you actually, do you know what, uh, One Rock and Roll Too Many? No. From Starlight Express? It's a really, really great song, and I actually got to know it from an American Idol contestant who sang it when they had Andrew Lloyd Webber on in the 2000s. It was um, I'm Saisha Mercado, who went on to... <laughs> Good Broadway fame. I think she played Nabalungi in Book of Mormon at one point, and she. Anyway, I'm getting I'm getting sidetracked, it's but it's important. Um, that's a great song. That's a great song from uh, Starlight Express. But it's interesting to see how this fell into his 
career as a composer because it really is kind of smack dab in the middle coming off of some really, really great hits. The original Phantom of the Opera musical hits London in Andrew Lloyd Webber's hometown. He does a little preview just of the first act in 1984-1985. Sarah Brightman plays Christine. That role had always been intended for her. Colm Wilkinson actually played the Phantom in that original preview performance. Something I thought was interesting is the Phantom's original mask actually covered his whole face. Yeah. But it muffled his voice, obstructed his vision. Uh, so Bjornsson, who's the de- costume designer, uh, obviously a brilliant talent if you've seen any of the costumes from Phantom of the Opera. She designed the now iconic half mask to help thwart those technical problems that they were facing with the full Phantom mask. That's also when they added the mask reveal Mm -hmm. because the Phantom originally had a mask that covered his entire face. They didn't see a need to add any sort of makeup as to what his mutated face looked like. Mutilated face is what I should have said. Which, thank God Um, they added that because it adds so much. Oh my God. It's like, I was watching a little clip today of their original kind of studio rehearsals and the choreographer was saying that the moment that Christine hands the mask back to the phantom is the moment that he falls in love with her. Oh, I love that. So she sees, so she sees the face very early on to give us as an audience, the, an idea of how bad it is, how bad his disfigurement is. And they wanted to paint that picture pretty early on so that we know that it's not, it's not pretty under there. And you get the little glimpse of it around his lips kind of with the mask on when you're as an audience member, but then you, you know, she takes it off and that's the moment that I think is really beautiful when she goes to hand the the mask back to him during, um, I think it's, I remember is what that, I remember there was mist. Yeah, it's called There was. So about a year after that original preview in Weber's hometown, the original West end production opened on October 9th, 1986 at her majesty's theater, where it is still currently running. Obviously not right this second because of the, COVID-19 crisis, but it to this day still runs traditionally at the Her Majesty's uh, theater. In that same theater. That's wild. Exactly. So the production transferred uh, in 1988 to Broadway. Uh, Michael Crawford was cast, obviously, in that original West End production. Something I didn't know about Michael Crawford until we did some research is that he actually comes from a comedy background. He was in a comedy, he was in a sitcom on UK television. Very silly. There were shots of his, he was, it was a very zany character. He was always getting into very, uh, very bizarre physical problems. So he was, you know, there's a clip of him roller skate, rollerblading down this like tumultuous street and he's like sliding under trucks and crashing into bushes. Uh, so it's very funny to know that he comes from such a com- comedic background and he's now garnering so much praise for this very dramatic uh, performance as the Phantom of the Opera. Did you get to see any clips? Was he funny? Hysterical. He's very he's very funny. It was very kind of like almost Carol Burnett, larger than life style of oh, comedy. Oh, that's awesome. Obviously, it's a very different background, but he was able to earn a Tony nomination. There was something that Hal Prince and Angela Lloyd Webber saw in him that they really liked. There's a great story of Angela Lloyd Webber telling the choreographer that he had offered the part to Michael Crawford and she said she was eating soup when he was telling her and she took a spoonful of soup 
And as he said, yeah, I got Michael Crawford to do it. She, the, the spoon stopped on her way, on its way to her mouth. And she looked at him and said, Michael Crawford, you offered this part to Michael Crawford. Cause it was like, if, if we in the U S were offering the Phantom of the Opera to like, uh, Gerard Butler. <laughs> Stop. No, to like, to like Steve Carell. It's like, we're going to give this dramatic part to Steve Carell. And everyone's like, Steve Carell. And it turns out, obviously, as we know from somebody like Steve Carell's career, that they're very good at drama and comedy. Well, do you know about, I'm sure you already know this, but they offered it originally to another guy who was a rock star. Uh, I don't remember his name off the top of my head. But he was a rock star, and Andrew Lloyd Webber originally hired him. And if you've ever seen any of the promotional videos from the 80s of Sarah Brightman and him singing Phantom of the Opera, like he has that full mask on and everything. It's, yeah, it's all on YouTube, but it's not Michael Crawford in those videos. He originally wanted it to be like a rock star, but then as Andrew Lloyd Webber continued writing it, he realized that the score was just way more legit and classical. So he was like, we need someone who can sing this. So Andrew Lloyd Webber and Sarah Brightman, he brought her to her voice lesson. And, and Michael Crawford was in his voice lesson right before, so they were just waiting and yes, heard him singing an aria. Yeah. And then he was, like, sold. Yes. I love that. So the Broadway production opens in 1988. Um, So the Broadway production opens in 1988. At the 42nd Tony Awards, it garners 10 Tony nominations. This is the same year that Into the Woods opened on Broadway. We talked about that in a previous episode. It's the Patti LuPone, Anything Goes Revival, Madam Butterfly. They were all in that same Tony season. Phantom of the Opera left the Tony Awards that night with seven wins those wins include best musical michael crawford wins a tony as the phantom of the opera judy k wins best featured actress in a musical as carlotta judicelli yeah she does a role we know and love for many reasons best director for harold prince otherwise known as hal prince and it sweeps every technical category for obvious reason so in terms of the way that this show has sort of moved through the entire globe it's become obviously a global phenomenon We've talked a little bit about the West End production and the Broadway production. Phantom of the Opera has been staged in over 40 cities across the globe. And that doesn't include times that shows have, that cities have produced revivals of Phantom of the Opera, because there's multiple of those, not just the West End and Broadway. There have been revivals in countless other European cities. And that also doesn't include any tours. And now that the show is licensable, the show will be performed countless times across the entire globe it's also the longest running musical probably in the history of the world uh the um the broadway production has been performed over thirteen thousand times as of march 8th 2020 they are at currently at thirteen thousand three hundred and sixty six performances the number would be higher at current at the current date but due to the coronavirus outbreak broadway is shut down now until june do you think this is the longest setback they've had since it opened the longest in the 80s? setback that Broadway has had or Phantom has had? I, I mean Phantom, the longest hiatus, I guess Absolutely. I, I think it's the longest hiatus that any show has ever gone on in terms of a show that's Well, because I know sometimes there's, there's strikes. There have been strikes, but nothing yeah, will be like, as long as... I think the, the, I think the crew strike, there was a... I believe it was an IATSE strike that happened a few years ago, and that, I believe, was only about a month, but I could be completely wrong. You can fact-check me if you want while I talk about the next production that I really like to highlight. 
One of my favorite productions. I don't want to fact check. I believe that's you. okay. I, I I'm probably totally wrong, but I I would I would guess at least that the the strike that occurred a few years ago is not going we'll to be as long as the Broadway DMs. strike. It's fine. I can't wait to get hateful DMs. Goals. A production that I specifically want to talk about is the Las Vegas Spectacular. It was titled Phantom, the Las Vegas Spectacular. If a show is going to, if a Broadway show is going to open in Las Vegas, I do not think there is any better show to take that place than the Phantom of the Opera. Maybe the Lion King, (laughs) maybe in the next few years we'll see a Hamilton production take residence in Vegas and they can make a lot of money doing something like that. But the general concept is that they took a Broadway show, reduced it to about 90 minutes, which I would guess, having been to Vegas, is about an optimum amount of time that somebody wants to spend in one place. Yeah. About 45 minutes of the show were cut out. Songs like Poor Fool He Makes Me Laugh and Don Juan Triumphant were significantly cut, if not completely removed from the show whatsoever. There was no intermission. The production took place at the Venetian in a theater that was specifically designed to replicate the Paris Opera House. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. It was another technical feat. They added so many... So many uh, more dramatic technical elements. The chandelier was designed in four tiers, much like the actual Paris Opera House chandelier. The chandelier that we get on a tour of Phantom of the Opera or a Broadway production is not a physical replica. But this Las Vegas production had a big four-tiered chandelier. And it was separated into four pieces before the show and actually was assembled mechanically in midair over the audience during the overture. Wow. Which I think is pretty spectacular. That production ran for six years. It opened in 2006 and closed in 2012. Wow. I know if I was in Vegas in that time, I absolutely would have ran my little took us over to go see Phantom, the Las Vegas Spectacular. Yeah, the only like showy show I saw when I was in Vegas was Jersey Boys. That's another great one, I think, to transfer over there is a, ju- a jukebox musical, Grease. I think would be a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm surprised. Has there been a Rock of Ages in Los Angeles in, in in Las Vegas? I don't know, but that's what they need. If there hasn't been, I think it's a great venue for. There's going to be a Los Angeles production that opens at some point, and they're going to design it in a real like they're going to design a club, like a bar that the entire production can take place in. That's sick. Okay, yeah. Wow, Las Vegas really needs Rock of Ages because <laughs> there is no party show like that show. I completely agree with you, except Phantom of the Opera, of course. Different kind of party. <laughs> Amanda, let's get this show on the road. How did you re-experience Angela Webber's The Phantom of the Opera? I initially listened to the original cast recording because, fun fact, this is the first show I ever saw on Broadway. So I have listened to this album since I was a wee one. Was I there for that? Was that your first Broadway show? You weren't there. I was not. Great. Great, 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 great. You revisited it when we saw it in 2011. Yeah, we saw it in high school as well, but I saw it when I was nine with my mom. Amazing. my aunt. So I did that, and then I also rented the 25th anniversary, which I see a reaction. I have so many positive opinions about that production. I have so many negative opinions. Can't wait to talk about it. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Are you? Wait, are you really? lying. Yeah, I'm lying. I thought I it, think was, it was beautiful. I thought it was wonderful. It's miraculous. Yeah. It's so it's like for me, there are so many things in Phantom of the Opera that can take a toll on you, either as an mm-hmm. actor or as a vocalist. And I think they they either did only one night 
like a one night only performance. I think it was only one night. If 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 not, it was it was like three nights only. But they were able to give so much of themselves because they didn't have to worry like, how is my voice going to be tomorrow? Am I going to be emotionally exactly. okay? Because it's only one night. Like when Ramin screamed at the end. Oh, oh my God. Weeping. Beautiful. Weeping. Beautiful. And I think there are a lot of polarized opinions about Sierra Bagas, but I think she is A, a wonderful vocalist and B, such a good Christine Daae. Oh, a hundred percent. I have no. Some people don't like. Some people don't like her placement. They don't like that she's like a crossover that can do like Alan Menken, Little Mermaid music, and then like this. You know what I mean? I love that she's a crossover. <laughs> I Me mean, too. like being a classically trained singer who really just wanted to sing musical theater in college. Like right. she's my, she's my goal. She is. I think she's transcendent in this yeah. in this role as Christine. And she did it for a few years on Broadway, obviously. She did as it. Did Ramin. She's done it every... You know she was the first Christine at that Las Vegas show, right? I didn't, actually. That's great trivia she's that I did not know. She's done it everywhere. Every, she's like, wonderful. Every couple of years, she's like, I'm bored. I'm going to go play Christine again. <laughs> if you look at her track record, that's what she does. But, yeah, no, this is how I revisited it, was watching that. And it completely brought me back to watching it and listening to it when I was younger because I'm re-listening to these shows for the first time since basically we were in high school like because a lot of these are classics so I don't really listen to the classics in my spare time I'm also someone who does listen to a lot of musical theater in their spare time if I'm driving if I'm on the subway if I'm on a plane when I was traveling for Charlie I was I would listen to cast albums on airplanes because it makes the time go by really fast yeah you listen to a whole show and then you're there exactly I feel that. But I would never, and I did that too, but I would never in the car be like, I'm going to pop in some Phantom of the Opera. At least not since, like, not since I was a kid. And even when I was a kid, it was always wicked. Exactly. Singing uh, for good with your mom in the car. Oh, yeah. We we also have what is this feeling down to. I remember knowing that about you as like a fun fact. Fun fact, we went on, we just went to... Where did we go? I don't know. We just took a road trip and I was like, Ma, we're going to, we're going to pretend it's 10 years ago and we're going to put on Wicked oh. and harmonize. It was cute. Anyways, this podcast is really just dedicated to Michelle Harrington. <laughs> well, it's because you're at home this week and not sure. at your, it's because you're at your mother's house this week and not at your, your usual home in Boston. Yeah. So I listened to the original cast recording. I also watched the 25th anniversary performance and I watched a few clips from the movie. I didn't watch all of the movie, but I did watch a few clips. What did you think? So the movie, to be honest with you, so I missed, I moved in 2004. I moved like across the country with my family. And it was right around the time this movie came out. So I missed, like I knew, I knew Phantom of the Opera when I was a kid. I must have been like 11 when this movie came out. I remember knowing Phantom of the Opera, but I completely missed the movie coming out. I didn't know that it came out until like a year after it had gone to theaters. It also did very poorly so (laughs) that's probably another reason that i didn't know that it came out yeah listening to the cast recording watching that 25th anniversary production i mean it's beautiful i think like like i said earlier the 25th anniversary concert is such a great way to experience the show because it's one night only it's larger than life i would say the only thing that you miss is some of the technical aspects because it's kind of a concert even though it's not, I mean, it's fully staged. There's yeah. full choreography. But you do miss some of the scenic elements from the other productions. Being in the audience with that chandelier falling, 
is one of the coolest things in the world. And I agree. Yeah, you don't really get that obviously watching it, but I, they didn't they didn't drop the chandelier. No, I believe the chandelier that they used, I believe they I think that that chandelier is always at Royal Albert Hall and they just put some pyrotechnics in it. Maybe it's not, but it, it didn't looked, fall. No, but it looked really cool with all the sparks and stuff and I was like, the Correct. audience is just chilling down there with it sparking. <laughs> I'd be f- It's kind of scary. I, well, I saw it when I was 9 and it was like it was a lot to handle. Where did you sit when you... Do you remember where you sat when you saw it when you were nine? I think I was on the floor. In the orchestra. Yes, but I don't remember where. So I saw the show on tour at the Colonial... It was either the Colonial or the Opera House in Boston. Okay. I don't remember which, but I saw it in, I think, 2007. Hmm. I I was definitely in middle school, but I saw it in Boston on a school trip. Then I saw it again in high school when we did the show. We took a trip to go see the Broadway production. When I saw when I saw those productions, I was in the orchestra. And then later in my adult life, when I was living in New York, I had a friend who had an extra ticket one night. And I went and we were in the orchestra that night, which was fun. Because I hadn't seen the show from that close proximity. Yeah. So I've seen it a few times. Uh, and I also, we obviously have been in it. Um, but I definitely think that that is a huge part of the show, obviously. It's one of the most iconic parts of the plot. So I think that depending on where you're sitting, it gets scarier. It gets... And I remember being... Yeah. If, if it was 2007, I was four, 13 years old. And I remember feeling the drama of how wildly Im- impressive it was to see the entire show at that scale. And then it's funny, almost double the time later, seeing yeah. it as an adult and saying, oh, like, it's interesting to compare and contrast those feelings that you have seeing the show at such a young age versus seeing it in your adult life. Well, you know what one of my favorite parts of re-experiencing this was? Was how involved the audience is. I love a show with audience involvement, even if it's not direct participation, but the audience is literally part of the show because everything Fearman and Andre say, like, all of that is to the audience, which is you. I just think that's so, so cool that you kind of get to be a part of it. Correct. There's a lot of show within the show because they're staging three different productions throughout the course of the musical. Yeah. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So some quick little fun trivia for you. I only have one piece in this little kind of miscellaneous segment that we like to do. We're adding a few new segments this episode. We're going to see how you like them. 
Uh, feel free to DM us on Instagram or send us a message on other social media to let us know what you think of these new segments. But this is one of our new segments called Potpourri, where we just like to share some little fun facts about the show. I only have one. I'm hoping you have a little bit more. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, did you know that a president came to see Phantom of the Opera in the 90s, I believe it was Clinton, came to see the show and had heightened secret service for some political reason. And his secret service set off all of the computerization that is in the set because the secret service obviously was on a radio system with one another. Right. The radio system, the radio presence at the Majestic Theater in New York was so great that it interfered with the computerization that's in the Phantom of the Opera set. So they had uh, no boat for the entire production that I believe Clinton saw the show at because the boat wouldn't go because the radio interference from the Secret Service was so great. Wow. I did not know that. Again, this is totally half-assed research, but uh, I do think that that rumor about the interference is true. I don't know exactly which presidential candidate it was. Not presidential candidate, but which president it was that came to see Phantom. And they were sitting in a box seat, so they were very close to the stage. And the um, radio interference screwed up the show. Maybe he was sitting in box five. Maybe he was sitting in box five and the phantom was like, not today. Do you think people like when I don't know my research? Or do you think that I should just be better at my job and know the facts? I guess we won't know until we get feedback. (laughs) How about some potpourri from you, Amanda? Um, I have questions, mostly. Because while I love this show... Do you? You... Do you? Do we'll you? find out. I have a lot to say all the time, you know. <laughs> um, why does he keep the hand, his hand at the level of his eye? Uh, for the lasso. Oh! If the lasso comes over, if the lasso comes over his head and his hand is at the level of his eye, the lasso will wrap around his hand and the, his head and he'll be able to free himself from the lasso. It does sound from the lyrics like he's trying to, like, block himself from seeing the phantom. Like some type yeah. of Medusa thing. Like, if you see him you something bad will happen to you but it's so you can get your hand it's so you can get yourself out of the the noose yes so let's get into something new we're going to introduce the award segment we're going to talk about three different categories and in these categories we will give nominations for what we think deserve the win and from there we'll discuss which one it goes to so our first one is Musical moments. So we'll each come up with three musical moments from the show that are worth talking about. Just small tidbits that are like under 60 seconds that are worth an award win. Sam? Oh my gosh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Do you want to go first? Great. So my three nominees are as follows. Number one, the climax of Prima Donna. Oof. Not necessarily notes. I think notes is wonderful, but I'm talking specifically about the moment where all, I think, eight of the people on stage start singing all at once. That is a specific moment that keeps coming back in all of my nominations, as you'll hear. Andrew Lloyd Webber exceeds so strongly at a cacophony of voices. Yes. Yes. He can write parts for like six, eight people happening all at once, and they somehow all fit together. Right. Or you could say whatever note you want, like in Don Juan Triumphant. <laughs> Anyways. So I would say from the moment that Carlotta and Piangi vocally enter in Prima Donna through the end of the song, it's just a beautiful cacophony of sounds. 
I also, in that same vein, want to nominate the climax of Wandering Child, right after Wishing You Were Somehow Here Again. Ra- uh, Christ- uh, the Phantom appears at the grave of Christine's father. Rao also appears to try to retrieve and save Christine. It's a beautiful surging melody where two voices sing in duet and a third voice comes in and sings a kind of counter melody. It's absolutely hmm. gorgeous. Um, and finally, this is totally different from the last two that I've just nominated. I found the melody, re-listening to this, I found the melody of Twisted Every Way really beautiful. Huh. That's at the very end of Notes 2, right before the Don Juan rehearsal. It's something completely new that we haven't heard. Obviously, Phantom of the Opera relies heavily on motifs. There are all sorts of repeated melodies throughout the entire score. Twisted Every Way is something completely different because it's the first time that Christine is really standing up for herself and saying, this makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to do this and I'm afraid. And then, of course, she goes through with it anyway. But Girl stands up to Carlotta. <laughs> she does. If you don't stop, I'll go mad. I like to say that in meetings. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, those are my three nominees. Amanda, tell me about your musical moments. Some very random. So in Notes 1, no, it's in Prima Donna. Fearman, Andre, and Pianji just sing a small line, Think of Your Public. And I don't know if you can hear it. But it's three-part oh. harmony, and it's stunning, and it's so fast, and I wish there was more. It's gorgeous. I know I exactly always, what you're talking about. Yeah. I get chills every time that happens. So that's number one. The beginning of All I Ask of You, when Christine soars up, I mean, really, anytime she soars up to a high note at Pianissimo, kills me. But specifically in the beginning of All I Ask of You. Is that, and through music, and then, my heart began to soar? Is that that lyric? Yes. Yes. Thank you. And then my last nominee would be in as well notes slash notes two slash twisted every way. In between notes and twisted every way, Raul starts kind of coming up with a plan um, and he's singing and right underneath him at the end of his phrase is just aggressive strings playing. And I think it just adds so much texture to what he's talking about. I love that so much. It's gorgeous. It just is so aggressive. Absolutely. The strings in this show are such a, a an extra character that are added something like the violin solo at the beginning of yeah. wishing you were somehow here again when christine is leaving to go to the grave oh my gosh let's let's try to hash it out if i had to pick one of my three nominees i would probably say the climax of wandering child is the most is the most compelling out of my three do you have a top choice i think think of your public all right best best musical number i'll start great it's notes it's notes it's notes i also have notes written down and you're talking notes through prima donna yes or just notes it's technically one number so i'll give it both that's the difficult i wrote notes that's the difficult part about this show is that it's sung through so right it's like an opera oh my god imagine oh my god I only have two nominations. What's your other nomination? The past of... Past... Okay. The Point of No Return. The Point of No Return, I find to be one of the more underrated songs from this show. A hundred percent. Every time it comes on, I'm like, oh yeah. I forgot That A section, that intro is so beautiful. I wish we could sing it, but obviously we can't. Um, I love it. Also, those are my two Monami's. Monami's. Those are my two Monami's. (laughs) <laughs> also, 
the boy on a return, I just like always forget how sexual it is. Oh, hot and Especially, heavy. Especially, is it Bog- Bogus? Bogus. 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 Sierra Bogus gives sex appeal in that. What the? F- Absolutely. It's a crest. I find there are two different Christines that often wind up getting cast. There's usually like a very strong vocalist Christine and a very strong acting Christine. Mm-hmm. Sierra is somewhere in the middle, and I think that that's the sweet spot. Yeah. All right. What are your nominees and pumps? My nominees for the best music for best production number are as follows. I also have notes through Prima Donna. I don't know if our perception of that is skewed just because we, I don't think we've said yet, but we both played Carlotta and Pianji in high school together. We both played both those roles. I we was an amazing Pianji. Amanda played Carlotta Giudicelli and I played Ubaldo Pianji in our 2011 high school production of Phantom of the Opera. Sam's final true high school show. Correct. Like while you were in high school. Correct. I had a beautiful death scene. Oh my god, that was one of my finer acting moments. I would agree, crying over my dead body. Oh my gosh, that was when I learned what drama is. So I would say, notes prima donna, I have to agree with you there. I also want to say that Don Juan Triumphant as a whole, and I'm not necessarily talking about Point of No Return, but I'm talking about from the beginning of Don Juan Triumphant through right to the beginning of, of Point of No Return... I really enjoy it. I think the strings are beautifully orchestrated. Obviously, the choral parts are wildly intense. I just think it's a really funny glimpse. It's a really interesting glimpse into that style of opera. I also read somewhere today, too, that it was the Phantom showing that he was ahead of his time by writing such complex harmonies. You're correct. Which was cool. But also, it's difficult to listen to. (laughs) Uh, I just think you get such a sweet release listening to that track on the cast album because it starts so dramatic and so um, dissonant. And then you get the Christine melody coming out of that. I obviously can't sing it, but no thoughts within her head, but thoughts of joy, no tears within her heart, but tears of something. But it's a beautiful soaring melody that she gets coming out of all that deep, dark music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finally, my final production number starts at the lyric it's the finale it starts at the lyric have you gorged yourself at last in your lust for blood and ends what lyrics the phantom singing it's over now the music of the night the entire finale of this show like i said angela Weber excels at writing a cacophony of melodies happening at the same time and there's no better example of that obviously i just said that there's no better example than the climax of wandering child (laughs) <laughs> but the finale I remember I remember the first time that I saw this show that tour in Boston I went away only thinking about how beautiful the finale was I was 13 years old but I was like how did somebody write all three of those parts they're all singing at once he has the lasso around his neck Christine's in the wedding dress the phantom is shouting at her it was just so moving and it made such a huge impact on me as an audience member I think that I'm probably before we even get to reducing it down to one nominee each i think i probably have to go with the the finale i have to go with notes like i understand that we are biased but also (laughs) you know like with into the woods your fault's one of my favorite songs too i just really love almost group numbers with different stories going on different things going on i love that i don't know if there's a musical theater term for that but 
Notes is also such a moment of levity in the show. It's like a nice little break that you get where there's a little bit of comedy. Yes. Uh, yes. And there's just no, like, serious plot happening. You just get a little break to listen to everyone sing really nicely. All right. Wonderful. Do you want to introduce this new segment or this new I want to introduce the final segment that I am so excited for. Well, the final segment of the new segments. So, yes, Amanda, I would like to introduce the final award category on our new award segment. I am calling this the Edwina Spoonapple Acting Award because the first show that we ever did together was Dear Edwina. And I think it's very much in the brand of Edwina Spoonapple to give an acting award to someone. Oh, absolutely. So I have three nominees. Do you have any acting nominees? I have two. Great. Why don't you go ahead and, and tell us? I would like you to go first because you <laughs> will probably pronounce them correctly. I love that for you. My first acting nominee and likely winner is Sierra Bogus as Christine Daae. She is so fully realized. She starts the show as this young ensemble girl, ends the show as a fully realized woman who develops compassion for herself and for others. It's a beautiful story yes. that, that she goes on. Obviously, the character transformation lies in the Phantom, but you get to see that happen through Christine. Her confidence soars through the show, her ability to stand up for what she thinks is right. It's a beautiful transformation that she takes us on. The way that My... Sierra Bogus Bogus shows her compassion and sorrow for leaving him at the end. Uh. She she like truly personifies ugly crier and owns it. And it's so believable. She's so talented. I would also as two sort of honorable mentions for this acting award i would like to say ann rudolphson who played carlotta in 2004 i believe to about 2006 she is one of those vocalists who is able to sing high coloratura soprano notes but she also has that elastic belt that only comes from having a fully realized head voice so she has an album you can listen to it on spotify ann rudolphson Mm. And my favorite, she's a wonderful Carlotta. She was also the cover for Julie Andrews in Victor Victoria. She's a great story about getting called into a performance. But her album, she sings a cover of Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead as a jazz cover. And you can hear all of the extremes of her voice. Seth Rudetsky introduced me to Anne Renolfson. He has a video where he breaks down her singing Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead. But she's just a beautiful Carlotta. And then finally, obviously, Ramin Karamloo, Cole Wilkinson. And Michael Crawford are wonderful phantoms. I really love John Owen Jones. He's wonderful as Jean Valjean. And I think that he is also an exceptional phantom. So he is my last nominee. I have to probably tell you up front that my winner for the acting award probably goes to Sierra Bogus. So my first nominee is Sierra Bogus, Mostly for her singing capabilities because... That's where I see it from, because I simply cannot imagine doing that role. I know that in most professional productions, Christine is played by two different women, and they go back and forth. Um, But, oh, she just has such control, and the fact that she can do the kind of that contemporary mixed belt style at times throughout it, it's so cool. Like, that's okay. It kind of shows her passion. Like, that is her acting, so. But... So I only have two. My second is Rami Karamloo because I, and it could be because I'm older, but I have not like felt that emotional watching 
a final scene watching any Phantom like I did watching him. When he, oh my gosh, when Christine kissed him at the end and his eyes widened, you could see all of his emotions and it just blew me away. He's beautiful. They're both beautiful actors. And they had done the show... Yes. I believe they had done the show previously together, so they had already established a type of chemistry in the roles together. Also, fun fact about him. In the movie, there's a portrait of Christine Dye's father. That's a picture of Ramin. I chose a bad time to eat an olive. That's amazing. I didn't actually know that. Yeah, that's him. So yeah, I would say Sierra Bogus. It's a wonderful acting performance. I would say Ramin... But I feel like the fact that we have chosen the Phantom and his ingenue. From the 25th anniversary production specifically. Congrats you two on winning the Edwina Spoon Apple. <laughs> the very first. We're going to email you a certificate. I hope you accept it and print it on your wall. Oh my god. Ramin Karamlu, Sierra Bagas, friends of the pod. Amanda, do you want to bring us Do you want to bring us into our, into our uh, final little award here yeah so every week we do honorable mentions and then who or what wins the show and my honorable mention is so random really on me it's anyone who plays piangi like (laughs) i don't remember i'm not entirely sure how to pronounce this man's first name wayne i think wayne evans he played piangi in the 25th anniversary and he was so lovable. He loved his wife so much. And his, his comedic timing was brilliant. I just think that Pianji is such an underrated character. Like, you did it well. It just deserves way more than it gets. So I'd like a round of applause for Pianji. I will say Carlotta and Pianji and Furman and Andre play a really integral part to this show. Because they are really the only the only moments of humor that we get in the piece. Humor and, and love. And other than that, I think it becomes, sorry? Humor and love. Exactly. When you play them honestly, you see that mm-hmm. all of those characters do really have very fully realized personalities, but they really do play an integral part because otherwise the show is just kind of this dry romance. Yes. Do you have any? I struggled with honorable mentions and winners this week. My honorable mention is Nate Wilton as Monsieur Freeman. <laughs> Who is the 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 man who pl- the boy who played Mr. Freeman in our high school production? <laughs> he was funny. I thought he was. I thought he was a lot of fun in the role. This was one of his greatest roles. <laughs> Aside from Mr. Nothing is man. better. Nothing is better than Nate Welton saying in notes, "We're in the dark." Do you remember that? <laughs> I do. All one. right, Amanda. Who wins Phantom of the Opera for you? It's really what wins Phantom of the Opera, and it's all the spectacle, visual effects. It just steals. And, like, I was talking to a good friend of ours earlier, Becca Mansfield. Shout out to her. And we were talking about Andrew Lloyd Webber, and she's like, I don't love Andrew Lloyd Webber's shows, but all of his shows are spectacles. And that, like, for me personally, that I can appreciate. So between, like, seeing the Phantom of the Opera and him popping up at different points in the theater... Within, like, 30 seconds, it's amazing. The chandelier falling. The boat going through the stage. It's just an amazing visual show. Riding and entering on an elephant. How could I forget? Wow, that brings <laughs> us... We'll talk a little bit about that. It brings us right into our next segment. Well, I want to say really quickly, my I agree with you that the, I think the spectacle and all the technical elements that they swept at the Tony Awards in the 80s 
are the winner. The only thing I had written down for my, my winner was Joseph Bouquet. But obviously he doesn't win because he is the first he loses. to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. All right. I actually want to kick off reliving our high school I... uh, experience in Phantom of the Opera. I can't wait for the next hour of this I wanna... podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a long one, folks. But Phantom of the Opera is a long musical. There's a lot to write about. Chemistry. So I want to just quickly read you what was written in the 2011 New Hampshire magazine. I was hoping you would do this. In 2011, Gothstown High School was recognized in New Hampshire magazine. Every year, they highlight what they call the New Hampshire's best of. They highlight local restaurants, local community figures, local places of business that they feel exemplify all that New Hampshire has to offer. And in 2011, Gothstown High School received a Best of New Hampshire award for ambitious theater. The Gothstown High School musical department is known for the quality of their productions, but this year they topped even themselves with Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera. The students, actors, and musicians alike carried the intricate plot and difficult score with an artistic maturity far beyond their years. To accomplish that, they rehearsed more than 200 hours, often late into the night. Parents contributed 1,600 hours to the effort, and more than $2,000 in donations were received. All of these pieces were expertly woven together by school staff to amazing effect. I really do remember not sleeping for like a month. (laughs) Really, though. I mean, we were working on school, but I remember telling my professors, I can't come to class today because we have to do Phantom of the Opera. And to my shock and surprise, and I'm sure this shock and surprise of all of you, they said okay. They were like, yeah, sure, we get it. Because it was such a big deal. I, I worked with the I worked with the shop teacher, like our wood shop teacher on building the chandelier out of metal and brass, and I like made the chandelier. We it was just sort of all hands on deck for about 30 days straight. We really did also have a very supportive staff at our high school. They were very understanding. I never went to study hall obviously, but because I was always in the music department doing something. And this show involved so much hands on deck. I think there were over like 50 students who were in the, who were like physically on stage. Yeah. In the show. Yeah. We had people we'd never met before being in it because it's such a big deal. Well, there was a lot of, there's obviously ballet involved. So we had like dance studio kids who would like, who didn't do school shows, but our dance teacher, our choreographer got them to do this show there were technicians who, like, played technicians in the show. There was a technician who, like, played the fireman who does all of the, the scene in then act two about closing all the doors. Speaking of all this, I also think that it's important to mention that we actually hanged our bouquet. Most productions <laughs> throw a dummy down. But no, our high school was like... For the record, we did not actually hang him. We, we just hung. We just had him on a harness. And he, he sure did because we didn't half-ass anything. <laughs> Our, I guess he was technically called the producer. I don't know what his title was. Doug McKernan. But he was like, I just really want to hang him. He was one of those students. The actor who played Joseph Bouquet was one of those students that just the teachers really liked to uh, hate on. So yeah, that was... <laughs> Deserving. Yeah. I also feel like we should mention, when we first found out that we were doing Phantom of the Opera, I'll never forget our chorus director in chorus started playing the very famous theme from the show. And everyone started freaking out. And you and I looked at each other like, this is a joke. 
this is not happening. And we thought that it was a joke for like at least a day. At least we were so convinced that he was lying. And then all of a sudden we were auditioning. <laughs> I hadn't thought about this until today. And I said, oh, I think I thought it was a joke. Yeah. You and I were stuck and up we bitches in the back of the classroom. Like, uh, this isn't real. <laughs> no. You know, you're not wrong. So another highlight that I want to talk about is the fact that so many musicals have curtain call music. Our auditorium only sat, I think, about 250 people. Hmm. But when you're 16, 17 years old, that's a, a, a decent amount of people. So our auditorium, we, I think, sold out the entire run. I think we did, too. We did. This was the first show we did two weekends, right? Correct. So normally at our high school, like many high schools across the country, do one weekend of a show. This year we did two weekends in February. And... I believe at the beginning of the, I think for the first weekend each day, like we would find out that that night's performance was sold out, but they were never sold out in advance. And then we got, you're right. I remember this And then we got to Thursday of the final weekend of the second weekend. And we found out on that Thursday that the rest of the, that that whole weekend had been sold out by that Thursday. And they were like, there were people standing, right. like there were, there were people standing in the aisle, standing in the back of the auditorium, people kind of like yeah. peering into the lobby. It was a big deal that we were doing this. Also because it was the, New Hampshire doesn't have a touring house at all. We have a little theater in Concord, New Hampshire that sees some smaller productions like Jersey Boys or I'm trying to think of what else has mm-hmm. toured through. It's called the Capitol Center. I'm trying to think of what else has toured through the Capitol Center. Rent. Rent. So some smaller sort of like unit set productions tour through that, that house but they're nowhere near at the scale that a a show like Phantom of the Opera needs. So we really were like the first production of this show that had ever been performed in the state. And what I'm getting at here is that this show doesn't have any curtain call music. So I remember being 17 years old and like knowing that we were doing an okay job. And obviously a high school audience is a different breed of audience. It's not like a New York audience. Very generous. (laughs) Of course. But I remember walking out and only hearing applause because there's no music. So to have that overwhelming sound of applause Mm. hit you from the stage, even now when I do a show, you can tell when an audience is like really cheering for you. And that was the case for this show is just hearing that wave of encouragement from the audience at the end of the show every night. Such an overwhelming, emotional, beautiful feeling. It was, it really was. And also to be, I mean, things are so dramatic when you're a high school senior. So I think that was also part of this is that it was so... I put my blood, sweat, and tear my my adolescent blood, sweat, and tears into performing right. musicals at my high school, and I could have had opportunities to go to other. We have a lot. New Hampshire has a very enriched theatrical community, and I could have gone to so many other community theaters in the area and tried my hand at performing with them. But there was something about our high school's productions that made me want to stay and this it's the same case for you yeah there weren't many people from our high school there were a couple who went to do the outside community theater thing but you and I and many other people were very invested in our high school theater obviously this was not the last show that you did but for me kind of sealing the deal with this show was a big deal for me at 17 yeah I auditioned my final show I auditioned for the drowsy chaperone and then I got cast as Gertrude in Susical Musical so, <laughs> I forgot about that. It's different. <laughs> Grateful, <laughs> but um, 
I also want to mention, we, if I'm remembering correctly, we were not thrilled about our casting when it first came out. You, I think more so, I think me more so than you, because Carlotta has a little bit more substance to her role than Pianji does. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to be Christine. Did you want to be the Phantom? I wanted to play Rao, actually, because I hadn't had Mm. a chance to play like a romantic role and i think i wanted to do it because you wanted to play christine i was like oh amanda and i should play opposites in this show she should play christine and i should play ral imagine me now playing the role of fucking uh, (laughs) (laughs) ral de confi patron whatever his name is ral's kind of a dilhole so be grateful that you didn't play that role is this the wait is this the is this the premiere use of you saying the word the word dilhole have i not said it on the podcast i don't know if you have yet You'll hear Amanda I've been use waiting the, for the right time. term Dillhole a lot. And Ralph feels like the right time to you. <laughs> I really think it is. Because when I was rewatching it, I was like, shut the fuck up. And you didn't feel that way He's... about Meg? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> we had an ongoing joke in high school. And the whole, uh, the whole joke was, shut up, Meg. Because if you really listen to everything Meg has to say, it's either repeating things that somebody else said or it's just useless <laughs> information. We thought it best she was at home. She needed rest. She needed rest. Gee, thanks. Like, it's Shut very up, much man. like no no shit Sherlock kind of moment. I just want to mention before we wrap anything up is that I think one of your best line deliveries of any show that I've seen you in, and I've seen you in a lot. I know what you're going to say. Is when Carlotta leaves the stage and goes, uh, what's your name? Udolfo? What's his name? Ubaldo Anyamo. And you just turn to the audience and go, amateurs. <laughs> It was brilliant. I did receive exit applause almost every night it on that line. So did. thank you very much. And there are some productions that do not do that right. That is such a funny exit. Like in the 25th anniversary, they just kind of blew past it. And I was like, y'all, that is such a good exit. <laughs> I also was just hopelessly so flamboyant in high school. And even more so in this role because he's so, Pianji is so over the top. Um, Check out our Instagram for Sam's flower vest. It is beautiful. I did have a really nice floral vest. Yeah, check out our Instagram. We're going to post some video. We have a couple very illegal bootlegs that were taken of this show. Yeah, we can't post from that From the audience. Like, I think we can. I think it'll be fine because it's high school. It's like, um, but yeah, check out our Instagram for some photos and a couple videos of our high school production of Phantom of the Opera. We surprisingly don't have many other videos, but this is one we have a couple videos of. We need some videos. I'm trying to find some because this show needs documentation. It was pretty monumental. I also want to mention, this is going to mean nothing to our audience, but everything to me and Sam, about how in the song, and all I ask of you, Sam and I imagined every <laughs> night that while these two beautiful lovebirds were singing the song, the Pianji and Carla would be crossing the stage lost on the roof. We had a very comedic fantasy. Amanda and I were very obsessed with, like, Kristen Wiig, SNL, that very, like, silly style of comedy in high Upstaging the actual leads. Upstaging the leads of the show because we were still bitter about not getting those parts. But we had this fantasy that during All I Ask of You, Carlotta and Pianji, like, secretly followed Christine and Ral up to the the roof of the Paris Opera House and were very lost and didn't know how to get back downstairs. So we fantasized about crossing the stage and Obviously, we never would have done that, but we uh, fantasized about crossing the stage uh, during that song. Sounds way more funny in my head than it actually is. I, you're probably right. 
finally, Amanda, let's bring this home. You play, you do Phantom of the Opera in 2020. Who do you play? Audience member number five. (laughs) Again, I think in 30 years. I think you'd make a really, really, really great uh, seamstress for Carla. Oh my God. I think I could play also the (laughs) confidant. Oh, you're absolutely right. Yep, 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 yep. I was going to say in like 30 years, I could do a good Madame Giri because she just stands there with her cane. Correct. And sings some mezzo notes. And Mama's ready for that role. I love it. I love it for you. I'll see you in 30 years. What about you? I need a little bit of time as well. Uh, I could probably in the next like 10 years, if I like saw a, a good voice teacher, I could probably go in for Pianji on Broadway. Maybe we'll revisit this podcast in like six years and I'll be playing Pianji. That'd be pretty funny. Um, but I think if I saw the right vocal coach, I could probably muscle out that high C. And mm-hmm. um, I think in another like 20 years, I could probably play Furman or Andre. To some to some oh, pretty yeah. fun to some pretty fun acclaim. Uh, so yeah, that's where I that's where I stand on Phantom of the Opera. Uh, nine years after the fact, you know, the first time I saw it, I was like, "When I grow up, I'm gonna play Meg Jerry. Why? That's really who you wanted to. That's play? That's who I wanted to play when I first saw the show. My parents were like, "Amanda, you, uh, you got to be able to dance." I was like, "Oh shit, I'm out." And you were like, "Pot of Bourbon." Pot of a river and <laughs> Let's wrap it up. Who do you, who do you, what are your final takeaways from Phantom of the Opera? My final takeaway is who does Christine think the opera ghost is? Her boyfriend or her father? I'm still very confused. <laughs> Angela Weber, if you could write me a note and let me know. Angela Weber, check out our podcast. Let us know what you think. I'm just I know confused. you don't have much. You don't have much. Be- you don't have much else to do right now. So, also, you didn't write this story, so I can't even like really blame you <laughs> for it. I just am like, this was just one of my questions when I started watching it. Was does she think it's like a ghost that her father sent her from the dead, but also he loves her? I don't know. It's a nice love story between <laughs> three people. I think, finally, wrapping everything up, The Phantom of the Opera is really, when you reduce it down, it's a story about facing your own inner demons and Mm. accepting yourself so that you have the capability of loving someone else. It's literally what RuPaul says. Like, if you can't love yourself, how are you going to love somebody else? And don't fuck it up. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly what RuPaul says. That's it. I've seen a couple episodes of Drag Race, so thank you. I'm so happy for you. If you like what you heard on today's episode, be sure to leave us a rating and review. Want to support Buzzed Broadway? Head to anchor.fm to learn more. If you need more Buzz Broadway shenanigans in your life, follow us on Instagram at at buzzbroadwaypodcast. Buzz Broadway is conceived and hosted by Amanda Harrington and Sam St. Jean. Editing by Amanda Harrington. Original music by Carl Pariso with musical arrangements by Patrick Doro. As always, thank you to our sponsors, to Anchor, and to you, our listeners. See you next time. Ain't no party like a Lloyd Webber party, because a Lloyd Webber party is... Probably has a pretty okay score, but if you examine it upon a further inspection, it's probably going to be just okay. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud 
with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor, and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.